Let me tell you what I'm going to do tonight. We're going to have a little bit different lesson tonight, and I'm going to let you participate in some of it. This is not a sermon that I would have preached when I began my ministry because it's going to deal with problems that didn't exist when I began my ministry. The world, as Chad says, has changed entirely, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to try to get up to date on that because we're going to talk about the promise and the peril of the Internet the promise and the peril of the Internet. We're going to be talking about caught in the web. And here's one of my favorite sayings about computers. To err is human. To really mess up requires a computer. And some of you know what that means because computers can lead us into more trouble. And when they work, they're great. But when they don't work right, they are one of the most incredibly frustrating things in the world. But I want to talk to begin, to begin about talking about why people are getting wired and why the Internet is so valuable. I mean, it's a tremendous tool. A couple of years ago, I took my family to Paris on a little vacation, and uh, I wanted to get a, a, a hotel near Notre Dame Cathedral, and so I did. And I knew before I ever got on the plane in Little Rock, I knew where the hotel was located. I knew the name of the hotel clerk. I knew that it was a corner room. I knew that across the street there was an ATM. I knew that one block down there was a man on a, uh, with a cart selling crepes. I knew that I could walk two blocks east and one block south and I'd be at the cathedral. I knew all kind of things before I ever set foot in France. Well, how did I know that? Well, I went to tripadvisor.com. Some of you are shaking your heads. You know what that's all about. And I, I love that website. Now, anywhere I go, my wife and I just got back last fall. I spoke at a lectureship in Costa Rica, and we had an extra day that we had to stay before we could get our plane back. I got on TripAdvisor.com, and I found a wonderful bed and breakfast just a few miles from the airport where we had a great time. And the reason I knew it was wonderful is I got on the Internet. I went to TripAdvisor.com, and it told me the innkeeper's name, what he was going to serve me for breakfast, everything I needed to know. There's just so many things that we can do now on the Internet that we really weren't able to do before. And here's where I want you to help me. I want you to think for a moment, what are some things that we can do now that are good on the Internet? How do you use the Internet? What are some things you can do? Somebody help me out here. We can. We can encourage each other. We can get on that Internet and send messages to each other. There are some World Bible School. Thank you, James. World Bible School, uh, for years, my congregation has had a program. We have mailed those lessons out and mailed those lessons out, and some of them you get back and some of them you don't. Now, almost anywhere in the world, people can get on the World Bible School Internet website and study God's Word. What else can you do, though, on the Internet now that you couldn't do before? Yeah, there are some great websites for teachers. Yeah, just download those teaching guides. I've seen some of those. What else can you do? People listen to sermons like uh, Martin Keaton's or writings like such as uh, J.W. Bernard. Uh-huh. So it's a great, uh, great tool for learning. I just ran across a website a couple of months ago where you had some of those pioneer preachers sermons and it's great it was really good y'all are y'all are really spiritual here i was going to say you could order books on amazon.com <laughs> oh, what else can you do though it doesn't have to be religious what can you do on the internet do what 
You can Google. Don't you love Google? I mean, it finds everything you want, okay, and a lot of things you don't. But everything you want is on Google. When I, was, uh, when I get ready to take a trip, if I want to know how long it's going to take, I get on Google. It tells me to the mile how far it's going to be. And I can print out a map if I need one. What else can you do on the Internet? When the first transcontinental slide. When, when did we start doing that commercially? As a, and it was 1948, 39. Well, 39, but 48 when it really started, really started going well. I told me I was born before they turned that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So instantly I had that information. Instant, instant information. Your, the whole world at your fingertips. What else can you do on the Internet that you couldn't do before? You know, Skype is a godsend for soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan because they can see their children and talk to them. And that still amazes me. I was uh, in Ukraine, which is not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. I was teaching uh, in a Bible institute at Ukraine. And, and because uh, of the time lag, I would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I was wide awake. So I would go down and I would get on the Internet and I could communicate with my wife, who was at work on the Internet. And I was in the middle of nowhere. What else can you do on the Internet? It has. It has truly reduced the size of the world. All right. What else? I'm sorry? You can. You can. You can publish your thoughts for the whole world to read, which is, which is a little scary when we, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. You could shop. And not just shop. The thing that I really like about uh, the Internet, is you can pay your bills on the Internet. Boy, you talk about cutting... To, no wonder the post office is going broke. We hardly ever mail anything anymore. We e- email it or we pay, pay our bills on the Internet. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? You can sell things. You can get on eBay or you can set up your own website and sell things on the Internet. That's amazing. We have a fellow in our church that makes much of his living on eBay. He finds things, puts them on eBay and sells them. Yeah. It's amazing. If I want to see Times Square right now, I can get on and there's a webcam. There's a camera there and I can see what the... don't know why I'd want to do that, but you can do that. If you want to see what... If the surf is up in Australia, you can get an instant picture of what's going on. I mean, just amazing. If I want to order a book, I've got one of those Kindles. My, my two boys gave me a Kindle for Christmas last year and, and I can just punch in the number and within 10 seconds, I've got the book in my Kindle. I still haven't figured that out. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. Okay, if I want to, I'm not on the Internet this week because I'm with my parents and they don't have Internet. But if I'm away from home and I want to see what's going on in El Dorado, Arkansas, I can pull up the El Dorado newspaper and find out what's going on in my hometown. It's just amazing all of the things that we can now do on the Internet. There's all kinds of things, advantages and reasons to use it. There's also, here's the barber here and he's just cut the man's hair and he says, would you like to see the top on Google Earth? It still blows my mind that I can pull up my house on Google Earth and I can see it, all right? Uh, these days, we don't need hymn books. All of the words for the song can be found on the Internet, okay? I asked my dad where babies come from. He says, you download them from the Internet. <laughs> I don't quite think that's right, but anyway. Do you mind if dinner is late? I found some leftover tuna casserole on eBay. 
And then here's one that's, uh, I think, particularly appropriate for tonight. Here's a guy sitting there. It's fantastic. I can find out the exact weather outside this exact house at this exact moment all on the Internet when all he's really got to do is what? Look out the window. Look out the window. Okay, people get carried away with it. The advantages of the web are information, commerce, and connection. Those are the three great categories of the Internet. And here, every now and then, I come across a statistic that just makes me set up and take notice and makes me realize just how much the world has changed. Every now and then, one of those statistics, that just blows your mind, and here it is. One out of every eight couples who marry in the United States met on the Internet. That blew my mind. we got a real sweet little couple in our church who got married a few years ago, and they met on the Internet. They were in one of these websites, dating websites, and they were talking to each other, what they call texting or whatever it is. And they had, never, they had never gotten together. This was in the early stages of the relationship. They had just sort of connected and were talking to each other and kind of, you know, seeing what the other person's like. Had never called each other, had never met in person. They were just on the Internet, all on the Internet. And she said to him, what are you doing right now? And he said, I'm watching a black dog play around the swing set outside my apartment. And she said... He said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm watching a black dog play around the swing set outside my apartment. And he said, what city do you live in? And she said, El Dorado. What city do you live in? And he said, El Dorado. And she said, what apartment complex do you live in? And she said, North. <laughs> they lived in the same apartment complex. I don't know if they ever would have met or not had it not been for the internet. In fact, one of the biggest things on the internet right now are these dating websites. Match.com, Chemistry.com, Christian Mingle, Zeusk, and there's even, have you, did you know about this? Churchofchristsingles.com. Did you know that? I did not know that until I had a friend that I was counseling and he was a young single man and he showed me his account on Churchofchristsingles.com, which features nearly 21,000 profiles of people who are members of the Churches of Christ. It has 27 pages of testimonials from happily married couples who found one another through the website. On it, you can read heartwarming stories, such as the one written by Christy, who was living in a small town south of Houston when she found Drew up in Oklahoma City. Or you can learn about Kim in New York, who connected with Tom in Virginia, or Jacqueline in uh, Missouri, who matched up with Shane in Nashville. I mean, it just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. Now, I never would have thought of that. I've been married 34 years. I met my wife in church. I married a Christian. Well, you can meet Christians even if you live in lower Podunk, Arkansas. You can find Christians, members of the Church of the Christ from all over the world and get to talk to them. So the Internet has all sorts of amazing things. 73% of all adults in the United States, ages 18 and over, are on the Internet. But I want you to look at this one. 93% of those between the ages of 12 and 24, our young people are growing up on the web. They are much, much more conversant, more fluent, more comfortable with the Internet than you and I, a lot of us who are my age and older ever were. The fastest growing group, however, adults 65 and over. Did you, did you know that? By the way, does anybody know what the adults 65 and over are doing on the Internet? The number one reason they're on there? 
grandkids. They're keeping up with their grandkids. And that's how you do it nowadays. Social networking is the fastest growing activity. Facebook just had a big IPO. However, even though it is tremendously useful, I want to give a note of caution tonight. The Internet is also a major threat to families. Internet use can be extremely disruptive to family dynamics on several levels. Now, everybody's on the Internet. Everybody's using it. We're not going back. We're not going to unplug it. So let me tonight simply give you some cautions, some things from a family perspective that I want you to be aware of. Uh, Number one, I want you to be aware a lot of young people particularly are used to multitasking which is they're on the internet, they're on their cell phone, they're listening to music, and they're doing their homework all at the same time. And they will tell you that they're multitasking. And I'm simply going to say, no, no, doesn't work that way. Study after study has shown that your brain cannot multitask. You can't focus on several different things at the same time. Time. What the brain does when you're doing several different things, listening to music, you're on the internet, you're on the cell phone, you're reading uh, your homework assignment for the next day, is the brain has to cycle back and forth, back and forth, alternating attention. And it's very, very unproductive. And so I tried to tell my boys there was a time in our family when everything electronic was off, and that was homework time. You cannot multitask. And by the way, one of the most dangerous Dangerous applications of multitasking is when people are doing this. What am I doing? Driving while I'm talking on cell phones. Don't do it. Study after study has shown. By the way, it's against the law in Arkansas. You can't drive and talk on cell phone at the same time. Is it that way in Tennessee? Do you know? It's not. It needs to be because it diminishes a driver's attention, particularly young people, but any driver's attention. I was walking in downtown El Dorado last year, came to a four-way stop. I was on the sidewalk. I looked both ways, nobody coming, so I started walking across, and I nearly got run over by a lady in a Suburban talking away on her cell phone. I mean, literally, I had to jump out of the way. She barreled right through that four-way stop. And here's the thing that aggravated me the most. It wasn't that she almost killed me. It's that she never noticed. She just kept right on driving and right on chatting. It is dangerous. It is dangerous. You don't need to do that. Better multitasking skills through massive caffeine consumption is what people are trying to do. That's why so many people are drinking Red Bull, but it doesn't doesn't work. Here's another thing that we've become aware of. Something called Internet Addiction Disorder. Some people don't just use the Internet. They are absolutely addicted to it. This actually meets the DSM-IV criteria for addiction, and this is the manual that counselors use when we're doing a psychiatric or psychological diagnosis here. They estimate one in eight Americans has this disorder. 14% say it is extremely difficult to stay away one day. Now, in my congregation every year, we've, we've done for many years a television fast, and that is... We'd set aside one week, and we would fast from television, and that made me a very unpopular preacher for one week. But what we found was, particularly with the younger people, it wasn't television. They'd gladly turn that off. It was the computer. It was the iPhone. It was the iPad. And so we had to amend it to no screen time, no screen time, because some people are literally addicted to the Internet. 
Psychologist Kimberly Young conducted a three-year study of Internet abuse. She reported this in Internet Addiction. The emergence of a new clinical disorder was presented at an APA meeting. She proposed a definition that includes four or more of the following symptoms during the past year. So if you want to know if you're addicted, answer some questions for me. Are you ready? Do you feel preoccupied with the Internet or online services and think about it while offline? Do you feel the need to spend more and more time online to achieve satisfaction? Are you unable to control your online use? Do you feel restless or irritable when attempting to cut down or stop your online use? Do you go online to escape problems or relieve feelings such as helplessness, guilt, anxiety, or depression? Do you lie to family members or friends to conceal how often or how long you stay online? Do you risk the loss of a significant relationship, job or educational or career opportunity? Do you keep returning even after spending too much money on online fees? Do you go through symptoms of withdrawal when offline, such as increased depression, moodiness, or irritability? Do you stay online longer than originally intended? If you answered four or more of those questions, yes, you need to back off. You need to back off. And by the way, in my counseling practice, one of the things I'm finding now is I work with parents and I work with young people. The big thing right now is texting. And sometimes young people come in and, and they're being diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. They can't focus in school. They're irritable. Uh, they, they, they're agitated. They, they don't do well in school. And sometimes it's not because they need Ritalin. Sometimes because they need to sleep. I have actually, with parents, said, get on the computer and go to your cell phone records and check your young people's texting. And they come back the next week looking white as a ghost and saying, my teenagers are staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning on a school night texting. And that's why they're having problems. Now, I'm not picking on teenagers because we're going to pick on the adults in just a minute here, but we need to be very, very careful because this stuff's addictive. It can be addictive, and we need to rein it in. It can affect school performance. It can affect attitude. It can affect family life. Cyber relationship addiction is addiction to social networking, messaging, chat rooms, to the point that virtual relationships become more important than real-life relationships with friends and family. Another thing that I'm finding is I get people who are spending so much time on Facebook that their family's falling apart. And I'm talking now about grown-ups. I'm talking about mothers. I'm talking about fathers whose kids are running wild because they're spending all their time on Facebook. So we need to have some boundaries, and we need to back off. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 26, a righteous man is cautious in friendship. In Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I have got friends who brag to me how many hundreds of friends they have on Facebook, and I tell them with a perfectly straight face, no, you don't. Nobody has hundreds of friends. And I have a colleague who's constantly trying to get me on Facebook, and I don't want my face in anybody's book. I tell him, no. I tell him all my friends are real. And I'm not against Facebook. I know some of you folks are on Facebook. That's fine. Just make sure that it doesn't pull you away from real life. And by the way, let me speak specifically now to the males. You need to be really careful about some of these immersive 
video online games. It is not uncommon for people to spend 20 hours straight. I've had folks spend all weekend on these video games, you know, these fantasy games. Folks, that's crazy. We've got to back off. We've got to balance our time online with real life. My name is Charlie. He's tapping out on his laptop, and I'm an Internet addict, and everybody taps out, Hi, Charlie. <laughs> Something's wrong with this picture. And the answer is, if we spend all of our time in the glow of a computer screen and our family members feel neglected, something needs to change. Something needs to change. Here's something else that I've become aware of, and this is not something I would have preached on 30 years ago, but I've got to talk about it now, and that is cyberbullying. The most vicious place on earth is not Afghanistan or Iran. It's high school. People can be so mean and cutthroat in high school. And one of the things we're seeing now is cyberbullying. And, and, and it's, it, they take a kid and they start picking on them and they start saying ugly things about them and it goes out to all of their friends in high school. You need to tell your children, parents, to report to you any unwanted messages. If they're getting messages, hate messages, ugly messages, threatening messages, they need to tell you. You need to print them out. You need to go to the high school principal. You need to go to the police. You need to tell somebody. because there have, And you've probably seen this in the news, but there have actually been cases of young teenage girls who killed themselves because they were bullied over the Internet. And that's become a real, real problem now. So make sure you tell your young people about that. And by the way, here's a couple of websites and the first one's easy to remember, StopCyberBullying.com. A couple of good websites if you want resources for this. And the other is WiredSafety.com. You need to be aware that this is a very real phenomenon in some circles today. Here's another problem we've got. They have the lottery now here in Tennessee, right? Yeah, we just got the lottery a couple of years ago in Arkansas, and we're paying the price for it now. We, we're seeing the the people getting, going bankrupt, poor folks calling the church, need rent money, gas money, uh, utilities money, because they gambled all their money away. And there's certain times of the month in particular when, when these jackpots get really big that you can't go into a convenience store and you know, buy a cup of coffee because everybody's lined up buying lottery tickets. The Internet multiplies that danger. It multiplies it because you can go on the internet and gamble your life savings away. You can gamble on the internet. Players with household incomes under $10,000 bet nearly three times as much on lotteries as those with incomes over 50000 Internet gambling has nearly doubled every year since 1997. More than three million Americans are compulsive gamblers. The average lifetime debt of male gambling addicts between $55,000 and $90,000, and 20% of them, when they get in that deep, are going to attempt suicide. It is so tempting for some folks. Now, I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life, never spent a nickel on a slot machine. That's just, that's not my temptation. I, I just, I don't, my money's too hard to come by. I'm not going to lose it. But for some people, it's a thrill. It's a thrill. And the internet has multiplied that. So we've got to be really, really careful about that. Here's the thing that Jesus taught us. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. 
and the internet can actually take over somebody's life. They can become a slave, addicted, enslaved to gambling. And there's sites like problempoker.com that offer blocking programs where you can actually block these sites. And so I want you to be aware of that as well. But that's another problem that we're dealing with here. Now here's the big one, and that's chat rooms. Men and women addicts who spend the most time each week online, 11 hours or more, have said that the chat room behavior is what most interfered with important aspects of their life. People, you can get on the Internet and talk to people all over the world. You can talk to old girlfriends you hadn't seen in 20 years, old boyfriends you hadn't seen since that last high school reunion. You can talk to folks you don't even know. You can get in these chat rooms and talk to people, and I'm here to tell you it is dangerous. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why. Sexual predators troll chat rooms looking for victims. And a little cartoon there, here's a little Hansel and Gretel saying, let's try this one, the gingerbread chat room. Except that's not funny because they're out there. You must tell your young people that they're are dark alleys in the Internet, and they must not go there. And they must never, ever give out personal information to someone they don't know. How old they are, where they go to school, where they live, their phone number. They must never, ever do that. And by the way, on Facebook, let me back up to Facebook. If you are on Facebook, I don't care what age you are, you need to be careful what you say and how much information you give out. Because when people read that, you're opening your life up and you need to make sure you're not giving away information. You know, like people get on there and they say, we're leaving, we're going to be gone the next two weeks, we're going to Florida. We're going to be on vacation. Well, what have they just told everybody? Their house is empty and unguarded. People take the accessibility and the false intimacy of the Internet, and they get lulled into saying things they don't need to say and giving information they don't need to give. Here's another one. Chat rooms provide fertile ground for infidelity because, again, is a false intimacy. And I have found in my counseling practice, I can tell you, point to more than two dozen marriages that ended Two dozen. It's just people I know personally. More than two dozen marriages that ended because of something that began in a chat room. And what happens is people will say things in the anonymity of a chat room. They will say things that are inappropriate that they might never have said face to face and things can escalate so much more quickly on the internet. And I'm here to tell you as a marriage counselor, I'm here to tell you it's dangerous. And you should never, ever say or do anything in a chat room that you don't want your marriage partner to know. The minute you do, you crossed over a line. The minute you have any conversation with anybody that you wouldn't want your husband or your wife to see or know about, you are already in trouble. Here's the next one, and the sexting. Some of you may be familiar with this. This is what we're finding, particularly with young people, there's a real dangerous dynamic going on right now when uh, if a guy is dating a girl, you know, they all have cell phones and they all have these cameras. And the guy will say, hey, send me a picture of yourself unclothed. 
And again, if technology leads people to say or do things that they might not otherwise do. And what I always tell young ladies is if you send any pictures over the internet that are inappropriate, just be prepared to see them on the internet because that's what's going to happen. That guy's going to break up with you. He's going to post it on the internet and it may stay there the rest of your life. I have known cases. I have seen cases. Don't ever do this. Don't ever, ever do this. And by the way, it's not just kids. It's not just kids. Brett Favre got into a world of trouble for sending inappropriate pictures to himself. Congressman Eric Weiner had to resign from Congress because he was sending inappropriate. You remember that a couple of years ago? I, I, when people get on the Internet, something in their judgment just, just goes missing. It just goes missing. Which leads me to something I really need to talk about, and that is children and online pornography. There are some really dark alleys on the Internet. The average age of first exposure to Internet porn, read that, let it soak in for a minute, is 11. 11. Children today are growing up on the Internet, and all it takes is a couple of clicks, and there they are. That's all it takes. And... Pediatrics Journal found that 42% of Internet users ages 10 to 17 had seen porn online. Two-thirds of them hadn't been looking for it. They just kind of stumbled across it. And there it was. And this is such a danger to our young people. And again, I didn't preach about this 30 years ago. It wasn't a problem 30 years ago. It is a problem now. Parents, talk to your children about the dark alleys of the Internet. Make sure you... You know, we used to have to talk to them about the birds and the bees. Now we have to talk to them about the chat rooms and the porn sites. And we have to tell them why it's dangerous to be there. Use a good filter. There's lots of good filters. The American Family Association, go to their website. They, you can download a filter, but you better have a filter on your computer. I encourage folks to have only one family Internet connection in an open, visible area. When my two boys were growing up, they did not have a computer in their bedroom. No way, no way would we let them have private access to the internet. We had one computer in the family room where everybody could see it because I did not want them exposed to things or tempted in areas that they didn't need to be tempted in. Limit access to the Internet when supervision is unavailable. There's just too many dangers out there. The ultimate issue is who is going to be in control. And Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. We need to be careful because these things are addictive, they are enslaving, they are dangerous, and they are sinful. Let's go now to the whole uh, demographic here, and that is online pornography. Sex is the number one topic searched for on the Internet. Gambling, by the way, is second. $3,075.64 is being spent on porn every second. In fact, the pornography industry has larger revenues than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. Now let that sink in for a minute. It is a huge, huge business. And one of the problems we're having is there's so many different platforms for porn now. You can get it on the Internet. You can get it on iPhones. You can get it on iPads. You've got all of these wireless devices. And it is just a click away. And we have got to be so very 
very careful. One of the reasons why is because you have the three A's that have made it so dangerous. On the internet, pornography is affordable, it is accessible, just a click away, and people think it is anonymous. People think, well, no, you know, I don't have to go down to some seedy area of town and go in some nasty store and buy it and everybody can see me. I can just click on my internet and nobody will know it's me. Do, do you see where it says, see illusion thereof? You're not as anonymous as you think. They track your computer. By the way, not just porn sites. A lot of sites track your computer. And they know who you are and they know where you live. And they know a lot of things. It's scary what they know about you. And the reason I'm telling you this is we had a young man in our church who grew up having access to inappropriate material on, first of all, on television. His parents had Cinemax and HBO, which I will not have in my home. And he would stay up late after they'd gone to bed and he would watch inappropriate material. And then he would get on the Internet and he would watch things. And then he started getting in chat rooms and talking to people. And this young man was thought he was talking to a 14-year-old girl in Missouri. But he was actually talking to a 56-year-old police sergeant in Newport, Arkansas. And he said and he did some very inappropriate things. And two days before Christmas, his parents had a knock on the door, and the door, they opened the door, and there were two or three police cars outside, and they watched their son let off in handcuffs in the back of a cruiser. And he found out the hard way that he wasn't as anonymous as he thought he was. And he spent a year in the state penitentiary learning that lesson. And this is a young man who grew up in a church. He knew better. He knew better. But it was there on the internet, on his computer, in his bedroom, so easy to access. And he thought he was anonymous, and he wasn't. Here's what the Bible says. Listen carefully have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I'm talking about things tonight that I really don't want to talk about, but I've got to. It is shameful to mention, to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And if that doesn't describe what we find on the Internet, I don't know what does. It is out there. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on, the effects of pornography on the brain. As far as the brain is concerned, a reward is a reward. Stimulation is stimulation, whether it comes from a chemical or from an experience. In the sexual response, the dorsal prefrontal cortex and the parietal cortex form cooperative circuits that favor immediate reward. Now, what in the world am I saying there? I'm saying that for the brain to choose long-term rewards, the orbital frontal cortex must be put in play. That's the part of your brain that has the brakes, that slows you down, that says, wait a minute, this is not right. It's the front part of your brain. The chemicals released in online sexual arousal are the same as the lust chemicals present in the first 9 to 18 months of a relationship. The brain also releases oxygen. Tocin, a more calming chemical found in breast milk and associated with the later years of a relationship. What that means is an internet pornography user has a brain that's being flooded with chemicals that simultaneously mimic 
pleasurable feelings of excitement, comfort, and even a high not dissimilar to that produced by cocaine. Pornography is addictive. We have a recovery ministry in my church, and we work with addicts of all kinds. We work with uh, addicts of uh, of alcohol, of drugs, of prescription medications, and we work with addicts of pornography. And let me tell you something. It is an addiction. So let me close by giving you some... Wait, let let me go back. The chemical responses tend to wear off, however, leaving porn users dissatisfied and seeking a stronger variety of stimuli which is why so many people go to darker and deeper and more vile forms of pornography. They've got to get that high again. They've got to get that high again. Here's what the Bible says. It predicted it centuries ago in Ephesians 4 and verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. This is the dynamic of addiction. It gets worse and worse and worse. So let me close with some words of exhortation. Number one, if porn is a problem, take it seriously. There are an awful lot of folks in this world who really think this is a minor issue. It's not. There are a lot of people out in the world who think this is perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's getting hurt. They are. Jesus said, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he says something. Have you ever noticed what he says? The very next thing Jesus says after he talks about lust, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, he says, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter hell, heaven maimed than to enter hell with both hands. Jesus used the strongest possible language. The strongest terms that his language would permit to say, guys, take this seriously. I'm not fooling. This is serious. And we need to take it seriously as well. Number two, here's a book that we used in our recovery ministry, Every Man's Battle by Stephen Arterburn. We take porn addicts and we walk them through this book. I'm working with a guy right now. We've been working for over seven months going through this book. He had a terrible porn addiction. And we've, we're out of that, thank the Lord for that. And now we're moving on to Christian discipleship. But I walked him through this book, and I strongly recommend it. Number three, get an accountability partner. This is not a battle that a man needs to fight alone. He needs another Christian man to hold him accountable, to pray with him. We have an accountability worksheet where we take people and work them through an accountability process. And then number four, use a good filtering accountability system. One of the ones we use in our ministry is called Covenant Eyes. Easy to remember, Covenant Eyes, where you can go in and sign up, and if you are my accountability partner, it will show me. It will email me automatically any inappropriate website, so it holds a man accountable. But this is a serious, serious issue. Uh, Here's some other websites, pureintimacy.com, safeeyes, triplexchurch.com, x3pure. Uh, There's lots of good resources on the Internet. We need to fight fire with fire. We need to use the resources on the Internet that channel God's Word into recovery and overcoming 
addiction. Let me close with this thought because I'm out of time. Jesus recognized. Now, all of this technology is new. All of these toys and trinkets and tools that we have on the Internet, they've all come about in the last 30 years. They're all new. But the basic spiritual issue is not. And the basic spiritual issue is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We need to make it our goal as Christians to have a pure heart. We need to make it our goal to stay away from the dark alleys of the Internet. We need to use every resource we have to stay spiritually strong and morally straight and pure in our lives. And we need, by the way, God's help to get there. We're going to close with a song of invitation. We've talked about a lot of serious issues tonight, but the most important issue of all is I have got to get my life on track with God. I've got to be walking by His Spirit. I've got to be living according to His Word. I've got to be acting in such a way that we can sing that song we sang a moment ago, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If we can help anybody tonight to get right with the Lord, if we can have any prayer request that we can pray with you for you, you can let it be known right now as we stand and sing together.